Okie dokie, folks. Welcome to the Roots Report podcast, presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, the Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, Graysale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SE Microphones. I am your host, John Fusick. Today we have actor, writer, author, and musician Billy Moomy. Moomy is best known for portraying Will Robinson in the TV series Lost in Space. Billy has had a long and interesting career with lots of stories to tell. He has written these tales into his recently released autobiography, Danger Will Robinson, The Full Moomy. Hi, Billy. Hi, John. You're right on time. I try to be. I try to be. How are you today? I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. So you live out in Laurel Canyon. I do. I have for 48 years. <laughs> wow. That's a cool place to live. That has a lot of history there. Indeed it does. Fits my vibe very nicely. Yeah, it seems as though. It, I mean, you got Laurel Canyon. Everybody, like CSN, lived there. Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, Frank Zappa, all yes, kinds indeed. of folks. Yep. Were you there when any of them were there? Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I've been here for a long time. I Mostly CSN that moved on. But, you know, Henry Diltz was a good friend of mine. He was my neighbor for years. Mark Volman from the Turtles, Alice Cooper, Mickey Dolan. Everybody lived here. Danny Hutton still lives around the corner. I mean, yeah, I've been here since I was a teenager, basically. Yeah, I spoke with Henry Diltz a few years ago. He's a very cool guy. I like him. Henry's the greatest, sweetest man in the world. Oh, I had a great conversation with him. I've been trying to get him on my podcast, but I haven't had any luck contacting him. Well, you can find him through the Morrison Gallery and stuff. Yeah, well, you know, Henry just turned 84. Maybe he's cutting down a little bit. Yeah, he probably is. I've um I've wanted to talk to you for a while. I follow your Facebook page and I see the stuff that you've been posting. It's you've had quite an interesting life. I mean, uh, I mean, I grew up. Hence the book, John. <laughs> yes, right. That's the reason. It's and especially after I read the pages that I was sent, I sat there and just read it in one sitting because it was just like, wow, this is really cool. Oh, good. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly what the publisher sent you, but I appreciate that it captivated you. Well, I'm going to have to get the book now because I want to feel I want to read the rest of it. <laughs> Good. It's just a click away. Yeah, it's it's a very cool book. It's very interesting. I mean, it's the stories you tell and and the life you've led and the people you've spent time with and the actors that you've worked with. It's just it's just amazing. I mean, you went from romper room to you know all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's really cool, and it's really all because of you broke a leg when you were four. Well, that pretty much that's true. The lucky break and all that. But yeah, the book the book tends to focus on my you know connectivity and all sorts of different arenas and eras. I mean, I was a lost in space person. I'm you know I'm a few years younger. Well, I'm seven years younger than you, and I grew up on Lost in Space. And of course, like every boy my age at that time, I wanted to be you. We thought you were the coolest person on the planet because you were flying around in a spaceship. <laughs> well, you probably wanted to be Will Robinson more than you wanted to be Bill Mooney, but yeah, I mean, he was just a great character. I, I, I loved being Will every day. I, I gotta say that, I mean, this is, it's funny because I, I just talked to Bob Cowsell a little while ago, and we were talking, and I know that you've worked with John Cowsell um, with a band. Yeah, we're in a band. And his Industrial. wife, Vicki, and, uh, and you were with uh, Rick Roses before he died as well, too. Yeah, Rick was the founding member of the Action Skulls, and, uh, you know, that thing fell together just like a, like an R-Gang comedy. <laughs> mm. You know, John and Vicky and I were hanging out at a Christmas party, at actually at Angela Cartwright's Christmas party, and we uh, kind of motivated ourselves over to the piano, and there were guitars around, and we had a few holiday beverages, and it ended up singing together around that piano for till about 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> 
and we were very impressed with the blend, you know, which is a natural, I mean, all of us come from Harmony Band, and uh, it was just a natural kind of, we fell into these interesting, you know, um, intervals and, and parts, and uh, the blend was really nice, and so we all agreed that it would be nice to see what would happen if we tried to record some original music, and then literally, I mean literally, like a week later, I was at a gig with America, which I've worked with off and on for 40 years, and Rick Rosas was there, and couldn't have been sweeter, I mean, just so nice, and he, he was complimenting me on, on, on some of my past work, and wondered what I was up to, and he knew I was a songwriter and stuff, and I told him that I had just kind of jammed with John and Vicky, and we were planning to go into the studio and see what might come out. And Rick says, well, duh. He, he had played with John in the past. He says, oh, I love playing with John. He's a great drummer. And he said, uh, so do you have a bass player? And I said, no, not yet. And he said, well, you do now. <laughs> and that's literally as, as naturally, as organically, you know, without any kind of, uh, it, it just fell together just like that. Yeah. And actually, I thought he was kidding me in a way. You know, you meet somebody backstage at a gig and you're, you're talking and I wasn't sure he really meant it but we exchanged information and stuff and about i think it's about one or two in the morning of that night i i was home and he and he texted me and he said i i really mean this he says i, I really would love to play with you guys so rick was there and we made the first album and it was a wonderful way to record you know it was just the, f the four of us looking at each other you know leakage be damned and mm. we were playing live in the studio together and, and just laying down the foundations for the tracks of course, there were some overdubbing and, you know, harmonies and stuff that we layered later. But in terms of, you know, one, two, three, let's play, it was just wonderful. And we were shattered when we had passed away. So I've just played the bass on the, the second projects that we've recorded. I met him for a brief time really quickly one night. He was playing with uh, Peggy Peggy Young back. Oh, Peggy. Yeah, he loved playing with Peggy. Yeah, I met him and Spooner uh, Oldman. Uh-huh, Spooner Oldman. Yeah, sure. That, that Great guy. And yeah. Rick was a fantastic musician because he was one of those players that was very much more or less thought of as a, as a less is more guy, just kind of laying that pocket down, a la like a crazy horse thing. Mm, well, that's but my kind reality, of I love that kind of bass playing. Yeah, right. But the reality was he could do anything. Right. I mean, we, we, we'd just kind of spontaneously in the studio, you know, stroll off into some funk jam or something. And I mean, <laughs> he was just an amazing player and a wonderful, sweet, very funny guy. He, he, I'll share this with, with you and then we can move on. But he, uh, he said one of the greatest things to me that has become a mantra, which is you can't erase it if you don't record it. <laughs> which is just perfect right because we all get insecure about what well, should we do this should we try that should we add do you want to cut this should we should we put that on there and he'd just go hey i can't erase it if you don't record it really it's got to give it a <laughs> isn't try. that great yeah you got to give it a try that's just a great line i love that he was well terrific. it's kind of funny like i said i was just talking to bob cowsill and i told him that one of the reasons that i started playing music when i was young was because of the partridge family that was you know i watched a lot of tv as a kid but another reason i started playing guitar when i was young was because i saw you play guitar in lost in space you played i want to go home or sloop john b or something yeah, sloop john b. yeah, yeah and sure. i saw that and i was like i want to do that and that was like i said i wanted to be will robinson but that made me want to play guitar too because i was think i was about seven or eight years old when that episode came out and i was just like i was on a guitar kick and i wanted to play guitar and i think around that same time a teacher had brought a guitar to school and i was just enamored with guitar and that was the partridge family and seeing you on tv playing guitar that just kind of solidified it for me but. well that's cool i'm glad i could be a 
musical inspiration in whatever way I could be. Uh, I think there's probably six or seven episodes of the series where Will is, you know, strumming an acoustic guitar out on some funky foam rubber rock somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I always had my guitar with me from the age of 10 on. I started playing at 10. Oh, did you? Uh, yeah, I used to always bring it to the sets and stuff. I saw an interview where you said you rode your purple Schwinn bike to the set, and you that you still had that purple Schwinn bike. I do, and I did, but uh, I would. I, the only thing I would clarify is I rode it to the studio quite on the regular, but not when we were filming. When when we were on hiatus and Angela and I continued to have our schooling done, right? Um, you didn't need to have like a, a guardian with you when you went to school. Oh, okay. Um, when it, when you're working on the lot, working on a scene, you know, you, you're nine hours a day, and then you have my mother was always with me. You know, you had to have a guardian. But when we were on hiatus, we just went to school on the lot for a few hours a day. Yeah, it was when I. I was I want to say I was 14 maybe I was maybe I was 15 but it was that period where you know you, you didn't have your car yet right. <laughs> and I didn't want my mom to drive me we lived really close so yeah I used to ride my purple Schwinn Stingray to the lot it was only a mile and a half or so from our house maybe two miles that's and, cool um, that you held on I to still it. Have, I still have the bike. It's 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 more of an art, It's well, more of it. It's definitely a relic art piece now. It's been hanging in the gazebo in my back hill for 20 years. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's rideable, but it's it's very cool to see the, the old purple stingray all the time. You posted a few weeks ago on your Facebook page uh, a poster for Rascal. I made a comment, and you actually liked the comment I meant, because that, you're going to laugh, but that movie was a big movie for me when I was a kid too because it, it started my love of raccoons I'm up in the middle of the night often feeding raccoons by hand on my back deck well that's cool <laughs> um, I'm sure they're, they weren't as perhaps as uh, pre-trained no no they were not but, but I mean that was a, that was a wonderful film and uh, it's a, it holds up it's a good little movie Norman Tokar directed that I loved working with Norman and he had directed almost a hundred episodes of Leave it to Beaver he also directed a, a Disney movie I made years earlier called Sammy the Way Out Seal. I always liked working with Norman Tokar. And yeah, we had, you know, quite a, a bunch of different aged raccoons for that film. I think the film took 11 or 12 weeks to make, and we went through several uh, of those raccoons. I, I, there's some pretty good stories in the book about Rascal, actually. Yeah, that, that's it. another reason so. I got to get it, because I want to... That was a movie I really liked in the sad part when you rode the canoe off to the island and, you know, let him go off into the woods and, you know. Typical Disney, right? Yeah. But, but I mean, it, obviously, it's based on a true story. Right, right. Sterling North's youth. But uh, I'll tell you one thing. Shooting that canoe shot was shot at sunrise. Uh, we shot that up at uh, Big Bear Lake. It was cold. <laughs> I just I, I just remember, you know, holding that, that paddle. My hands, like, feeling completely numb. I felt, it's probably what, you know, the Beatles felt like on the rooftop or something. Probably, it was yeah. cold. And then another movie that you made, which was, you know, very impact for me, was Bless the Beast and the Children, which I really can't watch that movie because it, I mean, I'm an animal person. I, I love animals and stuff. And to see the, the, the bison being shot is just, it just bothers me. But the fact that, you know, what the movie stood for, I liked. It's just, it's a, it's a hard movie to watch, though. And well, that movie uh, was responsible for some real serious positive change in that for many, many decades. You know, our movie stopped that lottery from continuing. Good. So, yes, it's, it's very difficult to watch those animals 
being shot, but the film ended that practice. Right. I don't know if it's ever kind of started up again. But I know well, I know not. they had something like that with coyotes at one point. They, that was trouble. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, the way they sh- the way they hunt wolves and coyotes, and I mean everything. You know, human beings are disappointing. They are. But back, I'll tell you, there's there's some unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know what chapters you got, but if you didn't get the Blessed Beast and Children, that's one of the biggest stories in the book. I got one about you having to duck out that some cowboy kids and that were chasing you and you had to jump over a wall to get out of it? Yeah, I mean, I've had some, for some of the dramas in film is one thing, but some of the dramas in reality when making the films is another. Yeah, I can see how, I mean, especially I watched the, I watched the trailer for the, because I, I had, I don't think I'd ever seen the trailer, the one with the gun rights guy and you yeah, talking about Dan the gun Freeburg. rights directed and wrote that yeah that was a that was a kind of an interesting trailer um i'm just I, i'm just wondering how that you know if that movie got some traction again that that would be a good movie to get out again and you know because uh i don't make those decisions <laughs> oh i know i know it's just because of all the gun stuff that goes on now it's just crazy yeah well no studio's going to consult me about re-releasing less the children <laughs> right now please I gave a little quick watch again to the the the, uh, the two Twilight Zone episodes, the the Anthony, the Good Life. I watched both of those episodes yesterday, and that first one is more disturbing than the second one. The second one is is is, and your daughter and that thing looked a lot like, especially That's my the way, daughter. I mean, that is my daughter. Yes, yes, that's what I mean. But she looks a lot like you. The way they superimposed her face and faded into your her. Yeah, well, DNA. Yeah. Genetics. <laughs> but that that first uh, the first the black and white one, I think was the most disturbing of the two you had that you had a very evil look on your face when you were a kid in that one just doing my job john yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh reading people's thoughts and sending them to the corner yeah that and i read that you sent you wanted well alfred hitchcock gave you a bit of a scare when you were young and you sent him mentally to the cornfield yeah yeah make sure he stays there too because he wanted to nail your feet to the floor because you wouldn't stay on your mark or something yeah that story's in the book right uh, one of the unpleasant stories of my childhood youth but uh, there weren't very many did you ever i i know you know erwin allen did a lot of the tv shows but he also did a lot of he started with the uh the disaster movies did you ever get a chance to work in any of those disaster movies he did no because i know he did like towering inferno poseidon adventure uh, he was good he had his wonderful run you know, yeah, he 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 definitely made big budget disaster. He was the master of disaster. Yeah, he was. No, he had... I, I never worked for Irwin after Lost in Space wrapped up in '78. Oh. But you've got, you, your musical career is a lot of thing is is something that's a lot of people who don't really know you don't know about. I mean, I've known you've always been musical, and America was another inspiration for me growing up as a musician, and uh, you know, I've had the fortunate pleasure of meeting uh, Jerry and Dewey a couple of times over the years, and the fact that you've played with them is and written songs with them and had songs on albums, that's very cool. And- well, I've known those guys since their first uh, gig in L.A., and uh, I talk to Dewey and Jerry almost every day via texts, and... Um, we're, we're very good friends. I've, they've sung and played on, on my records. I've sung and played on their records. I've co-produced America records. I've gigged with America. I've co-written, I think, I don't know, something like 18 songs on a bunch of the older 80s albums and stuff. Yeah, good, great, 
great pals, great bands, still out there doing what they do and sounding great. Oh yeah, I've been an America fan since the beginning and love their music and seen them countless times and uh, that's very cool that you do work with them because I, I, I love the fact that they're still out there playing too because that, that music is timeless and they, they just always sound great every time you see them. Yeah, Dewey and Jerry have been playing together for 52 years. I thought it would have been longer than that because I thought they started in high school. They did, 1970. They're not as old as I thought they were then. <laughs> Gary turned 70 in September, and Dewey will be 71 in January. Oh, okay. Your music, you have uh, you post a lot of videos. I've, I've watched some of your videos online of your music. I, I like it. It's pretty cool. And I like that guitar. It's a beautiful guitar, the black one with the stars on the frets. Uh, Gibson Everly Brothers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Uh, it's, a, it's a real nice guitar, yeah. absolutely. Beautiful <laughs> to look at, comfy to play, and sounds real nice oh yeah gibson's are gibson's are the ones I, i'm a big gibson fan they uh they make some nice guitars i was fortunate to go out to the factory in montana a few years back oh in bozeman cool. yeah it's very cool i had some friends that worked at gibson so i was i went out there and i they schooled me in the gibson guitars and i got a, a certification so and i saw you do a nice version of friend of the devil a few weeks ago you know every monday it's become kind of a ritual that people expect and i look forward to doing it every monday Monday, I, I, I perform a live song. And it's live without a net, what, just an iPhone camera and me and a guitar or a piano or something. And uh, almost exclusively, uh, they're original songs, but it was Halloween on that actual day, on Monday, I believe, a few weeks back. And so I thought, well, you know, what a thematically good song. And I couldn't really think of one of mine. And so I played Friend of the Devil by Robert Hunter and Jerry Garcia, you know, Grateful Dead song, great mm. song. Yeah, I liked it. I liked the uh, the finger pick and the nice arrangement of it. That was, I hadn't heard it done like that. Thank you. From a picture I saw on your Facebook page, you have quite the Pez collection. I do, indeed. How many of them yeah. are there? They look like a lot. Yeah, they're a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot. I'm not going to go count them, but yeah, there's... There's a lot, but I've been I've been getting Pez since I was a little kid. I used to whenever whatever studio lot I was working at, I'd kind of go through all the sound stages because every sound stage had like a foyer with you know like a cigarette machine and a candy machine, and uh, off times there would be various Pez dispensers and various candy machines at various lots and so for a quarter i'd pick up a vintage you know pez back in the day and uh, i just kept them the collection continued mm, some of them must be worth some money because the old ones are the ones that are the valuable ones must be i guess yeah i mean i'm sure you don't do it for that i sure you just do it because you enjoy no it. i don't i don't sell pez <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm not a I'm not a Pez dealer, but I am a Pez collector. Although my shelves are pretty full, I haven't really been adding to the collection for quite a few years. Uh, okay. So one of the things we have to talk about is Barnes and Barnes. That was the your Fish Heads was a huge huge song on Dr. Demento and it's still to this day one of the biggest songs. It is. It is the biggest song in the history of Dr. Demento and uh, it, it's been in a lot of different uh, television shows and films. Last year uh, it was in The Babysitter 2 or something and it's been in The Simpsons and Saturday Night Live and, and film festivals all over the world and in fact last year Barnes & Barnes released a new album called Pancake Dream which is uh, very much a psychodrama, more of a Twilight Zone. Not really. More of a creepy vibe than a than a ha-ha vibe. <laughs> but they said, well, we've released a lot of records in, you know, 40-some years. But mm. we, we do it very rarely. But when we do, it's pretty uh, pretty unique. It's fun to write from, you know, a different perspective than yourself. It's, it's very freeing mm. to uh, 
to write lyrics from a uh, character's perspective. So that's what happens with Barnes and Barnes. And um, try to make people smile or, you know, go a little Twilight Zone-ish and make them go, whoa. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, Bill Paxton, which a lot of people don't know, which I didn't know until the other day, was in and directed that video. Billy directed Fish Heads. Billy starred in Fish Heads. Billy starred in our Love Tap short film. He starred in the Soak It Up short film. He's also in our AA short film. Billy was great. We had a, that was our, our, you know, our band was basically a filmmaking little band of about four people, Rocky Shank. Bill Paxton, Joan Farber, and my partner Robert Hamer and I. And, uh, you know, as opposed to going out really playing a lot of club gigs, we just uh, took our royalties and made films. Although we played gigs, but when we did, we usually used like Weird Al's band. Yeah, I was reading the back of the book, and it, it's, you know, Weird Al puts a thing on there. He introduced you to your wife, but it's not, that's not true. <laughs> no, I introduced Al to his wife. It's totally true. Oh, I thought it was he introduced you to his wife. I mean, he, his, your wife to no. him. Oh, no, I introduced him to his wife. Susan. Oh, I got that backwards then. That's completely true. He's a lucky man, believe me. <laughs> He's a very nice guy. I've chatted with him, too, and I've met him. He's very, very nice. He's... I don't think there's a nicer guy. I mean, he's... He... He's about as nice as it gets, and he's a super talented musician. He is, and people don't get it either. He really is. A, he's brilliant. Well, Al's played on a lot of my Barnes and Barnes and my solo stuff. He's a wonderful, wonderful musician, and he's extremely loyal. He's had the exact same band for over forty years, same guys. Oh, Jim, I, I've talked to Jim several times. Jim, you know Jim? I know him all. Yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great guitar player Al, too. Al's a wonderful, wonderful guy. Right. I can't say good things about Al. Oh, I'm very so happy for all his success. So you introduced his wife to Al. That was. I did. That's I'm very a cool. Matchmaker Mumi. <laughs> Among your many, many accolades and, and things you've done over the years, Matchmaker. I, That's right. I should get a business card printed up, but maybe. <laughs> so, and the other one that I was a very cool thing is you were in Papillon, and I read that book when I was like 12, which I probably shouldn't have read that book when I was 12, but I did, and saw the movie, and, uh, you know, that was a little tough for, you know, seeing a movie like that for a kid my age when I saw that, but it, how old were you in Papillon? 19. 19? And I, I read the stories about you and uh, Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. There was a, that one of yeah, the chapters. That's the, open, that's the, uh, that, the Papillon story is the first story in the book. It opens the book. Opens it up with a bang. Yeah. I won't. I won't tell. I won't spoil it because I think. I really think people should buy the book and read it because it is. If if you're a fan of any kind of TV show in the '60s or you like music or interesting bits of trivia, it's this book is full of it because I mean you've got like these meandering chapters where you just drop a paragraph about something or you've got a full chapter about some shoot that you were on and stories from Lost in Space and from Twilight Zone and from Alpha Hitchcock and. You starred in a movie with Bridget Bardot. I did. And um, you know, I mean, I, the, people had been wanting me to write the book for a long time, and I had resisted it, or uh, it had resisted me. You know, I can you know, whichever. When I sat down to write it, I committed to giving it a, a try. I was pretty much in lockdown mode here, and still am. I, I, I don't, I don't feel like this um, COVID thing is gone. So no, it's I, not. I spend Definitely my not. time being quite creative, but I do it from <laughs> home. And uh, I started writing the book in a very modular and non-linear way. You know, I didn't want to just write, and then I, and then I, and then I, and then I. So I, I wrote it in bits and pieces, and I felt that my my own personal memories 
aren't linear. You know, you think of things from a week ago, and then you think of things from, you know, 30 years ago. So the book fell together quite quickly once I accepted that I didn't have to, uh, to write it in a linear way. And, you know, it's true. My career spans a lot of time. Golden age, old-time studio era with iconic legends from the 30s and 40s, like Walt Disney and Jimmy Stewart, Claude Rain, Lucille Ball, and blah, 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 all those guys. You know, into the 60s and 70s, pop art and trippy stuff and psychedelic hippie era and all of the, the musical people I've been fortunate enough to write and gig and record, you know, with, um, plus writing comic books for Marvel and DC and and the fantasy stuff like Barnes and Barnes. Yeah, it, it, it reaches a lot of different appendages of the entertainment business. Mm. And I didn't sugarcoat my story in the book, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm trying to just be sugar and spice and everything nice. It gets dark, but everybody's life has some darkness in it. Right. But I'm very happy with where I am. Well, I've, it's, you know, I, a lot of what you do is stuff that I do as well. I mean, I do I do a lot of work behind the scenes as well as produce and promote and play and stuff. And, and I was reading the part about you being a homebody. You kind of, at this point in your life, you just really like to stay home now. And I can totally identify with that. I just, and I'm... You know, I mean, I, 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 res- I, I, have, a, I have a lot of good friends who are back out on the road in really big bands. America, the Beach Boys, Ringo... Um, Toto, they're, they're they're back out, and we're talking, you know, really tight security, big arena, everything's top notch kind of crews and everything. And I've watched all of their tours have to be shut down multiple times. Oh yeah, since they've gone back out, you know. Uh, all it takes is one guy on the crew who, you know, I don't know, lingered in a bar too long, or somebody in the band doesn't know why, but they test positive, and the next thing you know, you know, everybody's quarantined in some funky hotel for 10 days, or somebody's really feeling crummy, you know, I mean, I, this this current variant seems to be so much less lethal than before, mm. but I have some good friends who've, who've caught it this time around, and yeah, it, they don't die, but man, I got to tell you, when you, when when somebody my age tells you, yeah, I tested positive, I think it's okay, but I'm really having trouble breathing. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to laugh at that, but no, I mean, that's I... a recent quote that somebody just said to me, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, you're really having trouble breathing. I don't want that. No, I mean the thing <laughs> you know, I got. It's not worth it to me. No, I, I... I don't. I don't need to go out and play the troubadour. <laughs> And, and, you know, which is a great gig, but right. I mean, I've done it. I don't need to do that and find out now I'm having trouble breathing. So right. I just, I've been very, very prolific and productive, but I've been, you know, with the exception of my immediate family, uh, seeing a few pals outside, you know, on patios and things for lunches. I'm, uh, I've been home for over two years. Yeah, well, I don't blame you. I mean, I got COVID about six months ago and I didn't care for her very much and it gave me brain fog, which still lingers, which I really don't care for all that much. Right, exactly. I, I, I know that as well from many other people saying the same thing and trust me, I'm foggy enough. Yeah, me too. I mean, and I've gotten vaccinated. I've had five vaccines so far. Yeah, well, so glad you're still here. Yeah, me too. So you had a, uh, one of the things I, you had a very good relationship with Jonathan Harris who played Dr. Smith. Indeed so. I did, dear boy, the one of a kind himself, <laughs> Jonathan Harris. Yes. And, and you guys maintain a friendship. Matter, so you'll lose your friends, you cantankerous club, how dare you. <laughs> but you did maintain a friendship with him until the end of his life. We were very close friends yeah. for the last uh, 15 years or so of his life. We were very close. 
We went to dinner often with his wife, my wife, and several other uh, people connected with the old series. I mean, uh, you know, there was a period when the show went off the air and I was 14 or 15 years old, and certainly I didn't stay connected to uh, to Jonathan for a while. But, you know, everything comes around. Mm -hmm. And by the uh, early 80s, when I was a homeowner and, and married and everything, uh, suddenly our relationship just reconnected. And, uh, yeah, we had a wonderful wonderful run together great guy we had great chemistry together and uh, you know i got to play the the character of the real dr smith in the netflix series that's been recently airing so i did see that I... that was the great great kind of you know nice little cherry on the showbiz you know sunday mm, that was cool that they did i did notice that first i didn't even see the credits i just saw it and i was like i knew that was you and i was like wow that's very cool yeah i did i did uh I did one in the first season and one in the second season, and then I was all set to have a really nice capper in the uh, third season. And everybody up there got COVID, and everybody here was like, wait a minute, you're going to fly to Canada and be in a hotel room for two weeks, isolated, quarantined, to go shoot one day? And uh, it just didn't work out. People on the cast and the crew up there uh, were catching COVID. Um, more often than they wanted to be and uh, so it didn't work out I was going to go back and kind of have a nice little cap on the the character and they wrapped uh, that they wrapped that series too right yeah it was they they wrapped it after three and Mm -hmm. that was their their always kind of an original intention so and you've you've stayed friends with Angela Cartwright as well Angela and I have been just about everything you can be in terms of relationships with each other and we wrote a book uh, last year lost and found in space a blast off edition that was published by the same people who who've published my autobiography and they did a great job on both books and Angela has designed and, and, and worked on many of my my uh, CDs as a designer and photographer and uh, we have been very close since 1964. That's great. Yeah, I saw that. I did read the, sp- the part in there where you did have a relationship for a few years. We did indeed. I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised. I mean, it's... Well, you see, you read the book. <laughs> <laughs> You find out all sorts of things you didn't know. I know it is. It's a very, like I said, it's a very interesting book, and uh, like I said, anybody who was interested in that time period and the things that were going on, you've you've basically, I mean, you've got stories about people, like all kinds of stories about people that you know you worked with and stuff. It's it's very There's interesting. Also, um, I, I I know that you don't have the actual book. So I will add, there's also 250 photographs in the book mm. that cover, um, you know, a, a lot of time and a lot of showbiz iconic projects. So, um, and getting those cleared and everything was uh, something that publishers were excellent at. And I'm very grateful that they were so good at that at Next Chapter because um, the 250 photographs in my 400. 40-page book that I wrote by myself. Make it pretty cool. Oh, no. I, I, like I said, the, the slice that I got kept me totally enthralled. I just sat there and read it straight through. I don't know how many chapters it was, but it was quite a bit. And I, when I finished it, I was like, damn, now I want to read the rest of it. Good. Good. I'm so, glad to hear that. Yeah, no, it really was interesting. I, I enjoyed it, and it was something that somebody you should definitely pick up because it's definitely worth the read. Because a lot, a lot of people don't know the Billy Mooney that you are. They know Will Robinson. They might know a couple of other things, but they don't know the career. I mean, all the the Babylon Five, all the the things you've done, the music that you've written, uh, the people you've played with. It's just it, you've just had a very cool life. I'm very envious of it, and it's 
it's you know it's not just wanting to be will robinson being billy moomy would be pretty cool too so <laughs> well so far so good i guess yeah well i should let you go i i do appreciate it it's really been an honor to speak with you um you're a very cool person i i i uh will pick up your book and uh definitely give it a read and all the way through i, I wish you the best of luck and hopefully someday we'll cross paths somewhere thanks john and keep making music and uh Thanks for the positive uh, support. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Okie dokie. Thanks to Billy Moomy for being part of this episode of the Ritz Report podcast. For more about Billy Moomy and his recently released autobiography, Danger Will Robinson, The Full Moomy, Jupiter 2 2, BillMoomy.com. That's B I L L M U M Y.com. The Ritz Report podcast is presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, The Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, Ray Sale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SE Microphones. Thanks for listening. Uh.